Hey guys, it's Carol Jean. Allie is going to be joining me soon here. Um, and we are going to be talking today about hidden boundary breakers. There's so often in our lives where we are unaware of boundaries. And one of the things that happens often is we don't know that we're having, hey Vicki, hey Lulu, we don't know that we're we're experiencing a boundary breach. We don't recognize that that's what's happened. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream, say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. I am fantastic. So I was just sharing with everybody that we're having a discussion today about hidden boundary breakers, because that's one of the things that when we first start talking about boundaries, we're like, hmm, we all of a sudden start noticing these things. Yes, yes. absolutely. Even, well, I mean, I don't even know if you went here, but even that boundaries exist, right? That we're allowed to have boundaries. <laughs> that's a yeah. for a lot of us. Yeah. Well, you know, when I that I put a post out last week that said, you know, one of the common responses, and it was my response too, was when I asked coaching clients, hey, what did you talk about growing up about boundaries? What did you learn about boundaries in your household? Were they discussed growing up? And she's like, no, are you kidding? What? I don't even know what those are other than you're supposed to follow the rules, right? It's so true. It, and for me, it was such a long journey of, and I know we're going to go into this more as well, but like, you can't even figure out your boundaries until you figure out what you like or like what even feels good. So that was a whole journey. And then learning that I can say to someone, no, I don't want to do that was huge. The fact that I could just say no was huge. <laughs> oh, that is a big one. Right? That's a really big one. So there's, there's actually seven types of boundaries. And the first one is physical, with your physical boundaries. This is usually the easiest one for most people to identify because it deals with your touch and your personal space. <laughs> yes, Vicki says exactly the same. I never got taught what boundaries are. That is so common. We didn't either. I, I didn't get that memo. Did y'all get, did anybody else get that memo? <laughs> um, so when we talk about our physical boundaries, that's usually the first one that's easy to identify. And right now in COVID times where we've got, you know, like six foot distancing, it's like, woo. Finally, people are giving me enough personal space. Right? I love it. I love the, like, I have to ask if I'm going to hug someone. It's great. <laughs> it's like people don't just automatically touch me anymore. It's like, it's so nice. <laughs> so are you guys experiencing sort of the same thing with your physical boundaries now that we've got a little bit more, um, the social norm has become a larger personal boundary <laughs> in public and with other people? I'm, I'm loving it. I don't know about you guys. 
definitely drop in the drop in the chat there because I'm kind of I'm, I'm watching as it's coming up. Um, so another one is our material boundaries. So these are the boundaries we define by the things we own or possess. It's kind of funny because this is one that either hits a button for you or it's like, eh, whatever. But you got one. Because, <laughs> you know, it's one thing. It's like my stuff. It's my stuff. And for the most part, I don't really care if anybody borrows something or they use it. I do care if they don't take care of it or they don't put it back where they found it or they don't return it or they take it and they don't tell me that they have it and I need it. I Yeah. Or also, I feel like another way to look at that one, too, is like maybe someone um, has a feeling of how your style should be. So they keep giving you items that might be genuinely, you know, like cute, trendy, but it's just not you. And they're kind of violating this like boundary of your image and what material things you want. Um, a friend was telling me her mom gave her like an excessive amount of Christmas decorations and would literally like put them up in her house casually. <laughs> yes. So like a violation. Ooh, no. A violation of like, wait, those weren't the Christmas decorations I wanted in my own home. Like it's, it seems little, but then all of a sudden we'll get into this more like, you feel very annoyed. And so something definitely got violated. I think that is such a good point. Cause you know, that's, that's one of those sort of hidden boundary areas where we don't necessarily think about it until it starts happening. And one of the ways to recognize when a boundary is getting broken or pushed or breached is their point of resistance to it. Like, how are you feeling? Like, are you feeling like, Ooh, like immediately like this pushback feeling to me, that's a, that's one of my uh, feeling emotion indicators when I don't necessarily have an, in, a set intentional boundary, but all of a sudden I start to notice that, Ooh, maybe that's an area that somebody's pushing on. I agree that I have a boundary. I agree. Or if I uh, immediately kind of want to get defensive, but I want to be defensive, but there's a, like, if I feel the defensiveness bubbling up, I know that, yeah, something's getting, like, something got pushed. Yes. Oh, okay. So, Shelly says, my sister has been giving me size small trendy clothes for decades. I had, oh, wow. Oh, passive aggressive much? That's such a good call, too. Like, I, in workout clothes, I definitely love, like, at least two sizes up. I want them, like, bigger and to feel really... And like even something like that, people will like assume size, and then if you don't wear it, they're offended. It's it's a whole thing. I get that. <laughs> oh man, I just oh I'm, I'm feeling that one for you. Seriously. <laughs> so another area, one of the other seven areas of boundaries is sexual. That's our physical and emotional aspects of sex. Now this is one that oh I, I didn't even really start to consciously think about these until the last couple of years when I started learning what the heck boundaries were and that there were all these different categories, seven different categories of boundaries. And it's interesting because it's like we develop these boundaries around our sexuality based on experience. Like so almost by default, right? I, I guess that's sort of how I've experienced it. And for a lot of us, you know, that are neurodistinct, it's, also like navigating and communicating our choice of sexuality and that can be a really big sort of 
pushback that we get from other people. If you say, you know, um, that, or you just, you discover or start to identify as non-binary or lesbian, gay, transgender, any of the things that we talk about and start to identify or really get granular with, especially in late identified life when it comes to our sexuality. And that can be a really big boundary discussion. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one? And what are some of your places and maybe ideas or experiences for how we might be getting some of these hidden boundary breakers when it comes to our sexuality, Allie? You know, I think, Kelgin, to your point, it's such a, sex is still such a weird topic in culture. It's, I mean, it's getting a little bit more mainstream, but so your thoughts around it are very much based on either what your parents think or your religion, or if you had a sex ed class, I don't know, not even everyone has one of those, right? So it's just, I think it's also learning, okay, are people talking about things around me? And I'm like, oh, I don't, that's not something I like, or I'm into, but I guess I should be because other people are like, that's an example of a way you might violate your own boundary, but not even realize it. Like you're like, oh, I should do that because other people are talking about it. Um, So it's just sort of getting okay with what do I like and exploring that and who am I and who am I in um, the bedroom? Who am I in a relationship? Right. And how I want to be coming across and then speaking about that more and more clearly. But that, that I feel like this one in some ways is really obvious, right? Like we talk about consent a lot, but then in other ways is not obvious when it comes to more like personally understanding what works for you and holding a boundary there. Yeah, I think that's a really big one because we do talk about consent and we talk about all of the sort of obvious boundary things. But then there's this also this, this hidden subtle boundaries of giving ourselves some flexibility in our boundary to explore. Yeah. And, and also knowing that all like intimacy is such a journey. So I feel like, again, we only talk about consent of the, like a physical act of some kind, right? Like you have to allow the person to do that. But also like, if you're not ready to maybe be fully like intimate or vulnerable, like that's a boundary you're allowed to have. Yeah. Cause sex has that intellectual and emotional component to it that we have to start really looking at and thinking about because um, oftentimes, and especially, you know, I'm a very literal black and white thinker for a lot of things. And when I thought about sex, I just thought about the physical aspect of it and not the emotional and intellectual aspect, which are especially, you know, for the female side of things, the intellectual connection and boundaries that I set about sex are more important because that's more of the deeper connection for the act of physical sex for me. Does, does that make sense? Am I, am I making sense on that with anybody else out there? And guys, if you have some boundary questions we're going through, if there's a little um, bubble with a question mark, please send us your question and we're going to do like a little Q&A section at the end of this so we want to answer your questions or anything you thoughts or ideas that you have about this um the next area is our emotional relational boundaries this allows space to have our own feelings this is really important i know for myself i know for so many of my coaching clients when we're talking about giving ourselves 
space to have our own opinions. When you've been masking and camouflaging for decades because you didn't know you were autistic, you didn't know you were neurodistinct, you didn't know you were ADHD or any of all the things that make our brains different and the way we perceive things different, we usually have denied the space for ourselves to have our own feelings and then to trust those feelings. That's sort of the hidden boundary is trusting yourself, trusting those instincts, trusting those thoughts and ideas that you have to be accurate for you. What about, what about you, Allie? Yeah, I have such a good example of this. So um, when I wanted to start my own business, my parents very lovingly were like, no, I mean, you have these degrees, like just go work at a hospital or a school, you know, you get all the benefits. Like, so it was coming from a loving place. And I didn't have the capacity yet, even though I felt it emotionally to be like, I don't like nine to five. I don't like nine to five now. I know because I have executive dysfunction issues. I like doing big pockets and then taking a break. So like having my own business has been wonderful for me, but it, I couldn't, I didn't try. I knew that, but I couldn't trust it for a long time. So I kept violating it and doing these jobs where I'd work for a year and then be really burnt out and kind of be like, what is something must be wrong with me that I'm not doing what other people are doing. Um, so really looking at that, like, are you, do you have a pattern that keeps happening, but people are sort of saying to you probably genuinely in a good way, no one actively wants to give bad advice. It just not, might not be advice that works for you. Um, and being okay with that and listening to yourself before other people. Very good. Very true. And that leads into something that's really important when we're talking about boundaries and those hidden boundary breakers is that if we're not consciously and intentionally aware of boundaries in all seven areas, and we're not thinking about how they apply to our life and what they mean to us, because that's boundaries are basically the way that you navigate your life and your space your time, your person, your thoughts, all the stuff. And it's where you end and where another person begins. And one of the things that is the most impactful in late identified life is when we don't know that these boundaries exist, when we're not intentionally crafting them, how they influence and impact autistic burnout, autistic meltdown, and on and shutdowns. Those are Boundaries are the biggest factors in those three things. We also have mental boundaries. So these are about our thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. Our thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. So there are some hidden aspects to this that are subtle. And that's the thing about hidden boundary breakers. They're super subtle. So what would be, Allie, an example or maybe a way that we might identify or recognize a boundary breaker in the mental area when it comes to our thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. Okay. So this is, there's, there's a few ways, but I think the biggest one, um, and I am not speaking politically about this at all, but COVID became very political, right? And there are a lot of opinions um, and everyone's entitled to that, but you can have a boundary of I don't want to be in this icky conversation of like, I found myself in so many conversations around like, masks versus not masks for children. And then people go to me because I work with children. I'm like, I don't, this is, I don't want to be a part of this. Like these conversations leave me sad. They leave me uncomfortable. This is just a boundary that I 
I have an opinion. I'm happy to give an opinion. But other than that, I'm not trying to debate back and forth. That's another boundary I've noticed in life. I'm not a debater. Like, I truly don't enjoy doing it. And a lot of people in my family do. So it's it's something that I've learned to just kind of realize, like, oh, that conversation's happening. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to go pet my dog. I'm going to do something when I'm not involved in this back and forth because that's just – that's not me. And I used to try. And then I feel like sometimes my opinions got really shut down and I was just very hurt by it. I was like, this is, this is not me. I don't know if you've experienced that, Carol Jean. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's a really good one because I think that's that's really one of the hidden – boundary breakers that happen when we're not aware that there's a category for this and that there's ways to start setting and navigating these because we so often get caught up in let's have a discussion to one person means let's talk about this and share ideas and see you know where we feel the same or we don't feel the same a discussion like without you know overwhelming emotions and all this kind of stuff but my word discussion means that, right? But let's just say that word discussion to the person I'm wanting to have the conversation with means an active, very emotional debate. Right. I don't debate. That is not, that is not my comfort zone. And when we can't identify that a discussion to us is maybe a debate and more of a confrontational exchange, and that's fun for somebody else, and it is so not fun for us, that can be one of those hidden boundary breakers. Because I know in our family in particular, that happens a lot. Like we, some people in my family want to have like a discussion, and some people want to have a discussion. <laughs> it's just being able to set the boundaries on, I'm not going to get into this discussion with this particular person in my family or this group in my family, because to them, it's a debate and it gets really heated and then that impacts my mental well-being. No, it's so true. And I think, you know, picking out for you what are things that you'd be willing to maybe discuss in a more heated way. Like there have been times um, where people are talking about either like child development or autism and they're just wrong. Like it's just a very wrong thing. There's no double side. There's no political. Like it's just not it's not a fact. And that I'll like I will say something. But also remembering you're allowed to say something and then not get heated in the, you can still step back. That was something, a boundary I had to learn too. Like I can give information. I can know that I said what I needed to say, but I don't need to, this is huge. I don't need to match the person's reaction that I'm talking with. And that's really natural for us. Our Like our brains literally match what's around us. So you really have to check yourself that you're not getting as heightened maybe as the person next to you. That was a real boundary I had to learn. That is a really good hidden boundary to think about and to start noticing. What is the emotional contagion? Am I allowing myself to get sucked in to the other person's level or emotional state? Yes. Because that's one where we're breaking our own healthy boundaries sometimes. Right. Emotional contagion will get you. We talk about that in Coaching Cafe Academy, which I love because it is a big component. All right, so now we've got spiritual boundaries, and that's our belief systems and how we practice them, our place in the world. And I love that we're able to look at this in the way that it's about, like, our mental is our thoughts, ideas, and beliefs, right? So when you're talking about spiritual, it's about the belief system, you know, like, 
how you practice, how you approach your own spirituality, with whatever that may be. And this is one that has lots of hidden things to it. Um, you know, people get really entrenched in their rightness, and I'm using quotes here, in their rightness about beliefs and belief systems. You know, like you have to do things X, Y, Z. Otherwise, you know, you're you're not living up to this particular doctrine or, or whatever it is. And in the spiritual realm of things, be it religious or universal, it's a big one. It's no, I, I, I agree with you. Like I, the amount of opinions, like I, I pull tarot cards. I don't know if that's my religion, but it's definitely a spirituality practice. And I think a lot of people are just like, that's, that's woo woo. That's voodoo. That's against the church. That's, and I'm just like, but I'm not doing it for any of these reasons. Like, it just really makes me feel good. It makes me feel connected. Um, one time I explained to my mom that yoga for me is kind of like a spiritual practice. It really, yeah. I'm grounded and she's, um, she is Catholic. So to her, that was in direct violation of being Catholic. So again, it's just no, like knowing what works for you. And then may, maybe also knowing when should I even say something? Because I kind of knew after I was like, oh, I just started a debate. I didn't want to. <laughs> it's not going to be a deep conversation, right? So just knowing that too, that's a boundary in itself. Being like, I know it works for me. I'm okay with this. I don't actually need to convince everyone else that it's it's good and that it's okay. And I love that you point that out because that is an internal boundary. That's an internal boundary that we set in that this is my space. This is my practice. This is what I believe. Or for a lot of us, even in late identified life, you know, I've went, gone through periods of my life where I've denounced the existence of everything. You know, I think that's a normal part of maybe how my brain works. I mean, I grew up in a very ecumenical family where God's got it. It didn't matter where you go to church. You know, I would go to, I swam for the Jewish community center. I went to Catholic school, went to Baptist Sunday school, went to Methodist church. I mean, you know, there, there wasn't any particular ascribed doctrine, but it was more of me feeling out what works for me now, you know, and what, and starting to evaluate, what do I truly believe? You know, yes, I believe in God, but do I believe in a specific doctrine or religion? Do I ascribe to that? Is it that there's no one particular place that I feel meets all of my beliefs that I've, that I've come to, right? And I think that that internal boundary is like, am I still feeling like I have to somehow justify or even have someone else approve of, of what I believe, right? And that's and being able to just go, we're not talking about it because this is what I believe and you believe what you believe and it's okay for us to not have the same belief. That's huge. I mean, there's like 70-year-olds that still are like, they want the, they're like, you know, cousins or aunts or something to still give approval. That's something I think we all go through, right? That journey of having to shed, oh, wait, you don't need to approve of of everything. Because I think my example before, that's why I kept a full-time job for so long was to get my parents' approval. And then literally two years later, they were like, wow, you're so happy having your own business. And I was like, I know, but I couldn't voice that or trust myself. So, you know, it's one of those things people might notice it. They might not ever, ever verbalize it to you, but they might be giving you a like, yeah, that does work for you. That is a really good one. 
So our last and final boundary area is time. But this is the one where the majority of all my coaching clients say, this is the one that gets broken the most often. This is the one I have the biggest challenge with. This is the one where I don't have intentional boundaries set in this area. It's just sort of an evolutionary process. And when you're autistic ADHD and we have got the executive function challenges and time blindness and transition times, these things are those hidden time tankers. Every time it is the thing that will just trip up my well-planned schedule all the time. When I wasn't thinking about them, when I wasn't aware that they were happening. So Allie, describe time blindness. Let everybody kind of know what is it exactly? I feel like I want to make sure I am. So please check me if it's just, it's, it, it really is what it sounds like, right? There's just no, you have a hard time. One, really thinking about how long things take, right? You're either going to under or overestimate kind of excessively. You also tend to not plan within the context of actually looking at your whole day. So I'm really guilty of this, right? All of a sudden I'll look and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm seeing seven people back to back and I don't have time to pee or eat food. So this isn't going to go well, but I don't notice it until it's happening in real time. It's that whole projection and the ability to look at everything together. Um, it's also just, I don't know if you want to add anything else, Carol Jean, to the time blindness. It's, it's really just not thinking in that like linear calendar way, right? Or hours. So you, you could end up if you're not aware of your boundaries, and I'm very guilty of this, I mean, literally doing something all day long or doing nothing. We tend to do this, right? We have a day where we do nothing and then we'll stack it because we have the mentality of tomorrow, it's a little bit easier or I'll have more time tomorrow. But you've already, because you're a little blind to time, you've already put so much time into tomorrow that it's stacked. I don't know if you want to expand. Yep. <laughs> Well, I, if you guys want to go back into my post feed um, here on Instagram, I did something specifically about time blindness that's got some exercises because the way that we perceive time and experience time can be very different between physical activities and mental activities. And that mental activity perception of time and how time passes is what tanks me every time. It is one of those hidden boundary time busters. So time boundary is how we choose to spend our time which is our precious resource. We never get it back and who we spend it with and when we do it. Now, Vicki from Actually Askling has a really great approach that she uses. And Vicki's here. Hey, Vicki. And I love it. She uses a visual timetable. So she uses pictures and things to visually represent what she's doing throughout the day and tasks and chores. And I love this. This was really great. I use... Um, my Google calendar and I block it out and I color code. So for me, the color coding is assigned to a particular action or step or activity that I'm doing. And I do them in blocks of time. And that way, when I, I glance at my schedule, I guess I have a visual timetable in this way. Um, I can look at it and based on the color, I know what activity I'm doing. So I can match it to my peak performance hours. So I do things that require more creativity and focus early in the morning because that's my peak performance time. And I do just sort of those easier tasks that don't require as much mental focus, but are more like just those rote tasks, like checkbox type things, send an email, whatever, do those in the afternoon. And I color code these kinds of things. Allie, I know you've got some pretty good strategies for that. What are your 
So I also color code. I love this. I mean, I, I do this timer. Like I physically, right? Like I do the Pomodoro method a lot. I also recently started this. Carol Jean, you are the inspiration. So I have five things that I try to do for myself every day. And then five things that are like work. Because what was happening is I was doing 25 things for work and maybe like one thing for me. So then I was constantly depleted and I need the visual. Like I literally dump these out and put them in. It's really helped me. And then um, I do big time blocks. So like on Thursday and Friday, I don't see too many clients. And one of those days is like a cooking, like clean my house, like do activity day. And on Friday, I just plan to sit on a computer for four hours, which I like, like I'll have my coffee and I'll just zone in and I'll get a lot done. So I, I don't even pretend that I'm going to do paperwork Monday through Thursday. It all is just happening Friday morning. That never worked for me when people were like, just do 15 minutes. Never worked. <laughs> so I just accept. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's right. You know, that's really good. Cause then you're working with your neurotype and you're identifying yeah. what, what works for me? Like, can I shift and do these 15 minute blocks or is it just better for me to just do it all at once in a big chunk? Yeah. That really is so really starting to think about that and then setting those boundaries for yourself. I like it. Lulu says, I am the same. I have to write it all down in my Google calendar. Yep. If it doesn't have a notification bell in my calendar and pop up on my screen, it doesn't happen. I totally forget about it. I'm the worst about it. I also think um, Carol Jean is really good about this. So I feel like people should model her. But um, you know how she was talking about physical versus mental. So I used to be, I'm really good at physical. So like if a client's going to show up, I see them. The mental part, which is what I forgot about for a long time. And that's where I'd be, you know, like have Sunday scaries, as people say, because I like, I didn't write the notes. I didn't do the emails. I didn't do any of the like, thinking about, oh, I wanted to post this on social media, but I never thought it through, right? So really like, remember those are, that's also part of every task and how you want to look at that. We tend to just, we, we like the physicality of things like, oh, I'll just do this thing. Um, but there's typically more to it. Absolutely. Hey, Granny, Granny just popped on. <laughs> okay, so we got a question here in our question box. And if you guys have a question about boundaries, and anything in particular, especially something about uh, time boundaries or any of the other seven areas of boundaries, which are physical, material, sexual, emotional, relational, re relational, blah, 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 mental, and spiritual. So we have a question here from Vicki. How do you set sexual boundaries with your partner? How do you communicate them? Ooh, that's a good question. How do you set sexual boundaries with your partner? So I'm going to just start on this one. The first thing or the part that's foundational to this is knowing what sexual boundaries you need. Like what, what are your sexual needs? Um, what are the places where you're willing to try something? Because a lot of times too, this is more of a, a give and take and an exploration, especially with your partners discovering what you like and what you don't like, what you're, if you've got a hard sexual boundary about something, you know, let's say you don't like a particular kind of touch. It's something that immediately turns you off and you're just like, nope, that just killed the mood and I'm over it. Your partner wants to know that because they're not trying to touch you in order to shut you down. They're trying to turn you on. So being able to communicate that. And the next part of the question is, you know, once you've identified what you're, your go-to touches are, what you like or what you're open to exploring, 
having a conversation with your partner to let them know that this is a particular, especially the sensory thing for us, this is a particular touch that for me completely shuts me off because it sends my sensory sensitivity, my vagus nervous system. I mean, I'm, I'm going into fight or flight or whatever's happening to you in that moment to really share it, articulate it from your experience and how it feels to you. Because I have found that that is really one of the best places to start because if we don't share how we experience that touch or feeling for us, like from an emotional and physical response, then our partner sometimes starts telling themselves a story in their head that usually doesn't go anywhere near or align with what we're trying to convey. So in this one, like Allie, I'm going to quote Allie here, over communication in this area is really important because people, sex gets real personal. People take it very personally. Like if you're not, if you don't want me to touch you like that, then you don't want me to touch you at all or you're rejecting me. So knowing that, that if you over communicate this in a way, and sometimes, you know, like Allie has a really good point about this. Sometimes having these conversations outside of the bedroom, not in the bedroom in the moment is a really good place to start. Like maybe when you're on a walk, maybe when you're um, holding hands or watching TV or something where you can have some connection time, but it's not in the moment of the event. Ali, what are your insights on this one? When you, I think I stole most of yours. No, <laughs> that was perfect. No, no. When you were saying that, like a few things came up for me. One is definitely, uh, you know, I think sometimes we forget that it is also our responsibility to like learn what we enjoy sexually, both with a partner and independently, right? So really, like if you have a partner, one, you got to feel safe with your partner. So I think that's huge. So don't even have that own, don't have that expectation for yourself that you're going to have this um, beautiful sex life that continues and continues. If you're not able to feel safe, it's really hard to then get intimate and keep going, right? So feeling safe. But then too, um, yeah, having conversations maybe from a place of curiosity, right? Like kind of what um, Carol Jean was just saying, like, I'm willing to try this. I'm not saying it's going to, that I like it or don't like it. And then we can talk about it after kind of thing, you know? Um, I think also just also having a boundary of, you know, sometimes partners, if stuff isn't working, will talk negatively about the other person. I more from a place of I think they feel rejected, and you are you are allowed to have a boundary and say like, actually, I don't. I would prefer if we didn't talk about that right now, or I don't want to. I don't. That's something I'm working on, and I actually don't want you to be a part of it. That's okay too. Like if there's some people have sexual blockages for plenty of reasons, trauma. There's so, all sorts of reasons, and you can have a boundary that I'm going to work on that independently. I love you. I want to figure this out for us, but I need some time where we're not talking about this and that's okay. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Cause being able to set that boundary of, Hey, I'm still figuring it out. It isn't about you. It's about me figuring out me. That's a really important sexual boundary to have and a conversation to be able to, to, navigate together to take that pressure off because you know there tends to be a lot of pressure because we get these through social media sort of this you know fireworks you know everybody orgasms at the same time kind of thing and in reality media does it oh no in reality i mean it might great but not normally yeah so being um you know and i think also 
I've seen this happen and I'm, I'm gender rolling right now. So please, but like, sometimes I feel like women will talk to me about like a guy will say something like, Oh, my past partner did this. Or like, I just thought this was really easy. You can totally shut that down and kind of be like, look, I'm working on this. Or I actually didn't even know I had a feeling about this. Like I need to explore this and you're allowed to take time to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep, it is. And that's one of the beautiful things that we do in our communication ecosystem is Allie and I have built in a specific element called the safety zone, because we know how important it is to establish a zone of safety for yourself, within yourself, within your own thoughts and beliefs, but also externally with the people in your life and your relationships. So one of the things that we help cultivate and we talk about and we make sure in place because we don't navigate boundaries until we feel safe. We have to feel safe to be able to set them and to navigate them. So this Thursday, Friday, uh, Thursday, February the 10th, we are doing, Allie and I are hosting a free time boundaries workshop for you guys. Registration link is on my profile on my link tree. You can also find it in my stories. I'll make sure I go and refresh and renew a link there so you can go and register. We are going to be going deep into time boundaries because this is the one that most of us have a really hard time navigating. It's the one that gets broken the most often. It's the one that directly impacts meltdown, shutdown, and burnout for us because time and time blindness and transition times and all the things that are unique to our neurotype aren't formally discussed. And we're going to be talking about those. We're going to be helping you identify where these time breaches are, where these boundary breakers are happening, where and how you can start setting and what a boundary looks like, a time boundary. How do you set it? And then how do you start to use it in your life? And then we're also going to go into, because this is the one that usually gets most people, how do I communicate my new time boundary to other people? And what happens when it gets broken once I set it? How do we have that conversation? We're going to talk about those things as well. I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, time boundaries is still a thing. I am like quarterly looking at and reflecting and, and learning. It is, it's a hard one. Um, and I think it's particularly hard because we all have time. Everyone has time. We all have the same amount of time, but it's very common that people can override people's time. And if there is no boundary, why not take as much time from a person as you can, right? Like, yes, this is great. You're giving me information. I enjoy your time. Let me be with you as much as possible. But especially for neurodistinct people, if you don't give yourself the like, whatever you want to call it, your refresh time, your I'm going to lay around for a whole Saturday morning and watch nothing time because I have to just kind of get back together, whatever that looks like for you. If you're not giving yourself that, that's where we're going to start talking about this sort of like accumulation of time debt in a way where you just you you are like, why am I being so mean? Or like, why am I so annoyed at that person? They didn't actually do anything. And that's hard too. It's that conversation of realizing, oh, I did this to myself. <laughs> that's not fun when you start to realize that. So when breaking that down is important too. Absolutely, it is. And time boundaries and having good, healthy boundaries in all of these seven categories is one of the ways that we approach self-care from the neurodistinct perspective. And that's one of the big areas that we talk about in Coaching Cafe Academy. So if you guys, we have a little special surprise if you guys register and if you show up live to this Time Boundaries Workshop, 
we have something new. We have something exciting to share. And we have a special invitation that only you will get. And you'll get it early. Um, we will also have the replay available. So if you're not able to attend the workshop live on Thursday, it's at 2.30 Eastern time. If that is not a good time for you, if you are registered, you will get a replay sent to your email. So you'll have access to that as well. So you won't miss out on the conversation. Thanks so much for being here. We have really appreciated your time. And as a healthy time boundary setter, we are going to say thank you for being here. Thank you for spending 30 minutes live with us here on Instagram. And we will see you on Thursday. Go get registered. We have some amazing things to share with you all about time boundaries to help you navigate and start doing some self-care and managing your time. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, Please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audie so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad free, please consider becoming a one time or a recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.